Let's turn together, shall we, to uh, John's Gospel and chapter 19. There's just one verse I want to look at, but while you're turning there, Michelangelo was a great master, but he was also a great procrastinator because he left behind him dozens and dozens of works unfinished. Actually, he wasn't alone. Chaucer never finished the Canterbury Tales. Mozart never finished his Requiem. Schubert never finished his Eighth Symphony. Dostoevsky never finished the Brothers Karamazov. But Jesus completed the work he came to do. His final words on the cross, and you can read them right there, John 19, verse 30, were, It is finished. John records it as a Greek phrase, tetelestai. But what Jesus actually said in the Aramaic language he spoke was meshelen. More of this later. The truth behind that single word has changed history. It's transformed the lives of millions. It's altered the course of human destiny and it's shaped eternity. What was finished? Well, actually, each of the seven words Jesus spoke from the cross revealed to us a different aspect of what was completed through his work. But this morning, there's just three that I want us to look at very briefly. The first is found in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, which says, Father, forgive them. That tells me that at the cross, the guilt of sin was finished. From the moment Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, men and women have been consumed with sin's guilt. In fact, so acutely did our first parents feel it that they literally ran away and hid behind a bush from the sound of God coming in the garden. That same day, God came down and he threw them out and he set an angel to stand guard over the garden in order to keep them out. Guilt separates us from the presence of God. And that's an emphasis that comes time after time after time in the Old Testament. One place where it's underscored is in the temple, with the veil of the temple. That great curtain, 30 feet high, 60 feet wide, as thick as a man's hand is long. So real and so heavy it took 200 priests to drag it into place. And tradition said that horses couldn't even tear it apart. Embroidered on that curtain was the same cherub that stood guard at the Garden of Eden. And the message was clear that men and women were excluded from God's presence. Guilt separates us from communion with God. Another reminder was the Jewish sacrifices, which could only cover guilt, but never take it away. And so they were repeated every morning and every evening, every month, every year, year in, year out, decade after decade, century after century, a whole river of blood. And yet, despite it all, 
the writer to the Hebrews says that our consciences could not be cleansed. Not only were we in guilt, we were stuck in guilt. And yet, in the darkness, there's a ray of hope. David looked forward to the day when God would forgive all our iniquities and remove them as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah prophesied that God would forgive our iniquities and remember our sins no more. And Isaiah said that one would come who would take away the sins of many. And when Jesus came to John the Baptist and John the Baptist saw him, the prophetic spirit stirred within him and God said, this is the one. He is the one who was promised and now he has come and now he is manifest. And so John the Baptist points his finger and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not covers it over, but takes it away. And three years later, as he yields to the soldiers on the cross as they hammer in the nails and his blood begins to flow. He says, now, Father, you can forgive. Now a sacrifice is being made that is enough. It is sufficient. No more covering. Now, Father, forgive. Our text is, it is finished. I said it was penned in the gospel as a Greek phrase, tetelestai. It's a commercial term. It means paid in full. It means the debt is cancelled. It means the account is cleared. Christmas last year, 2018, there was a video that went viral across the internet. News agencies all around the world picked up the backstory. And printed it for millions to read. It was about a 22-year-old man called Brady Singer. A Kansas City Royals prospect. Who unbeknownst to his parents. Went to the bank. And paid off every debt they had. Out of his first paycheck as a professional ball player. This is what he wrote in their Christmas card. I'm paying off your loan from the bank. Also, I've paid off every debt you have as well. In a single instant, with the stroke of a pen, mortgage, car payment, credit card, he took care of everything. All debts were paid. Every bill was cancelled. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Not financially, but morally. His was a complete sacrifice, a full offering. Not a deposit on salvation, not an installment towards forgiveness, but its price in full. And because he says it is finished, he can also say, Father, forgive. That was the first time in history that that could be said with integrity. The basis of it being demonstrated there. And just as he said that to the soldiers who crucified him, so he can say that to you and me this morning. That abortion, that affair, that act of betrayal, all those lies, all those years of rebellion, all the dishonor, 
all the abuse, all the waywardness, all the foolishness, as we bring it to the cross of Jesus Christ on the basis of his shed blood, it's gone. It's washed. It's cleansed. It's forgiven. We can stand before God with our heads held high because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. On the cross, he paid the price. And sin's guilt is thoroughly, utterly and completely dealt with. And we'll never be guilty again in God's presence because of what Jesus did on that first Good Friday. There's a second statement he made from the cross. And this is in Matthew 27 and verse 46. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that leads us to the second truth, that the penalty of sin is finished. When I was a boy and I used to get into trouble, I remember it happening once. My mum would come along, would grab me by the collar, would drag me back home, would box my ears, and then set everything right. I often wonder why God didn't do that at the fall. Why didn't he use his great power to drag Adam and Eve back into relationship with him? Give them a stern talking to, but then move right along shortly afterwards. He did not because he could not. As well as being father, God was also judge and moral governor of the universe. As well as being loving, he was also holy. And it was impossible for him to act outside the framework of his righteousness. If men and women are to be redeemed, it's to be done within the reference of divine justice. Adam's sin was a deliberate act of pride. He wanted to be like God. It was a deliberate act of independence. He wanted to define right and wrong himself. It was a deliberate act of rebellion. He went against what God had commanded him not to do. His guilt was real. And so punishment had to be enacted. Now God could have blasted man and woman out of existence on that first day that they fell. But instead of destroying us, he committed to redeeming us. But it had to be done legally, righteously, and justly. And the means was Christ and the cross. At 12 noon, on that first Good Friday, a thick darkness descended over the face of the earth. Some people thought it was an eclipse, others that great storm clouds had gathered. But secular writers tell us that a universal darkness happened over all of Europe, which astronomers couldn't explain. Tertullian, a North African Christian scholar, says it frightened the Roman Senate then meeting. The records of Greece and Egypt attest that even they, skeptical men of science, were baffled and afraid for their lives. People streamed through the streets in panic. Birds returned to their nests. Cows came home from the pasture. 
No eclipse was expected. In fact, this being the Passover full moon, no eclipse was possible. Across the ocean, the Mayans and the Incas record the same phenomena, allowing for the time difference. The whole world was plunged into darkness. Why? Because darkness marks God's history changing gear shifts. When chaos gave way to cosmos, there was darkness over the face of the deep. When Israel were delivered from slavery into freedom, pitch darkness covered the land of Egypt. When this present order will pass away, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light. And here, as the era of sin is ending and salvation is coming, it was fitting that the whole earth would be plunged into darkness. And then in the silent language of their interwoven spirits, the Father and the Son have a conversation. And the Father says to the Son, Son, we planned this from before the foundation of the world. Are you ready? And the Son said, Father, I am ready. Let's redeem mankind. Let your will be done. And then God the Father reaches his giant arm back to the beginning of time and gathers the guilt of past sin to the cross. And he reaches his other arm to the end of time and he gathers the guilt of sin future to the cross and he holds it poised over his son who's hanging there in the darkness. And then at three in the afternoon, he releases it on him. So that he now who knew no sin becomes sin for us. Jesus not only bore sin, Jesus became sin. And the father who once was with him every step of the way now turns his back and Christ calls out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now notice this isn't so much a question, it's more a statement. And what Jesus is saying is, now I'm forsaken, now I'm cut off, now I'm separated. Now the destiny and eternity of the entire human race is hanging on my shoulders. Jesus not only bore the guilt of sin, he also bore the penalty of sin too. He wasn't just our sacrifice, he was also our substitute. Because the father who turned his back from the cross, now turns to face the cross again. Not as father this time, but as judge. And then he releases fistful after fistful of righteous anger, of holy fury, of divine just wrath. Jesus absorbing the punishment of your sin and of my sin. We should have been there, but Jesus took it all. Isaiah prophesied that the punishment that would bring us peace would be laid on him and by his stripes we would be healed. And then Jesus calls out in the Aramaic language. Meshelem. That's linked with the word shalom. And what he's saying is peace has come. Enmity is finished. Hostilities are ended. Judgment is exacted. Wrath is appeased. Justice is satisfied. And salvation has been won. Paul Gerard, the 
17th century hymn writer put it like this. Extended on a cursed tree, besmeared with dust and sweat and blood. See there the king of glory, see. Sinks and expires the son of God. Who, who my saviour this hath done? Who could thy sacred body wound? No guilt thy spotless heart hath known. No guile hath in thy lips been found. I, I alone have done the deed. Tis I thy sacred flesh have torn. My sins have caused thee, Lord, to bleed. Pointed the nail and fixed the thorn. The burden for me to sustain, too great on thee, my Lord, was laid. To heal me, thou hast borne my pain. To bless me, thou a curse was made. The punishment of sin poured out on Christ. He was punished, I never will be. You Never can be. The guilt of sin is finished. The penalty of sin is finished. And this leads us to our third statement. Luke 23 and verse 43. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. The sting of sin is finished. You know, church, sin's sting wasn't just the separation it brought between God and man in time. But the endless separation it brought them in eternity. Hell is the terrible and inevitable reality that sin brings about. Men and women lost forever. But at the cross, through what Jesus did, through the events that we've been remembering and celebrating, as he turns to the thief on the cross, he opens heaven to the first sinner to repent under the new covenant. Jesus' sacrificial suffering took away the guilt of sin. His substitutory death removed the penalty of sin. And his atoning work extracted the sting of sin. And now for those who trust him, this glorious cross, these magnificent words, it is finished. Tetelestai, Meshelem. For us that put our trust in him, hell is closed. Heaven is open. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. A mansion's been prepared for us in the Father's house. A place has been secured with our name on it next to Christ. All because it is finished. We rest in a complete work. And we thank God for it from the bottom of our hearts. And as we break bread this morning, as we take the juice, let's remember the glorious grace of God and the wonderful gift he gave us. An end of sin's guilt, an end of sin's penalty, and an end of sin's sting for our good and his glory.